Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, London suffers a terrorist attack, so let's attack the London mayor. That's what you expect of Donald Trump. What do you say? Hello, everybody. On a Monday, Monday, June 5. Uh, Great to see you today. Nice to have you with us. And hope you had a great weekend and are ready to jump into the news of the day, the big stories of the day, which we'll do for the next two hours right here uh, in our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., bringing you all the latest and look forward to hearing from you about what you think about it. Uh, yes, indeed, most of the news focused on that London terrorist attack on again on the London Bridge, the third terrorist attack in London, uh, in the U.K., Uh, in as many months, uh, people reeling there and not getting much support from our uh, crazy president of the United States, who uses that opportunity to try to push his Muslim ban. Yes, indeed, that's the biggest story of the day. Donald Trump is going to be moving today also to privatize air traffic controllers. Yeah, how do you like that? Maybe we'll put the air traffic control system into the hands of Comcast, which screws everything else up. Well, we're going to let them screw up our air traffic as well. Uh, Nikki Haley finally says that Donald Trump does believe in climate change and that humans are somewhat responsible. That's what Nikki Haley says. Donald Trump, we haven't heard from him on that subject yet. And Washington is ready for James Comey to testify on Thursday unless Donald Trump blocks him. Lots to talk about. Send us your comments. What do you think about the news of the day on Twitter, at BP Show. We want to hear from you. We'll get right to it. But first. This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, I always go to you for stories that revolve around California and California politics. Here we are. California's assembly has approved a step that will take the state out of daylight saving time. Now, they did this last year, and it made it to the Senate, and the Senate killed it. They said that they didn't see any reason to get rid of uh, or to take California out of daylight saving time. Saving time, But now they said that maybe maybe they will. So what's your take on that? I have no idea. Uh, Easy enough. To tell Maine's, the truth. Maine is considering the same thing. I'm yeah. all for it. Why I, do we even no, have it anymore? No, I'm all for it. What I, I just don't know whether you can do it state by state by state. We bitched about this a lot. I mean, I think it's crazy. 
Uh, but, you know, if California does it, it'll be hard to ignore because they're so big. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So when Donald Trump was a young child, he went to the first Presbyterian church in Jamaica, Queens. That's where he, the church he was raised in. He was confirmed in that church. And we know he's a very religious man. Oh, yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they have distanced themselves from Donald Trump. They said that they want nothing to do with him. They don't claim him. And they said, quote, his policies go against our biblical teachings. Sad. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, the pastor's son, the guy who actually was Donald Trump's pastor, his son came out and said, quote, I don't respect Mr. Trump very much. I don't take him very seriously. I regret the publicity of the connection to our church. That is very interesting. I yeah. mean, he really yeah. he really put it out there. Good for them. Yeah, look, I mean, for Donald Trump to run around and call himself a Christian and act like he does is yeah. not a very good look. Only when it's convenient. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you might remember the name Rick Moranis. Do you remember the name Rick Moranis? Yeah. Rick Moranis. He was an actor. He was in a lot of big movies back yeah. in the 80s. Glasses. And then he just hair. dropped off the face of the earth. He said he didn't want to act anymore. He hasn't acted in 20 years. Well, he's coming back for a very, very, very small role. He's reuniting with Dave Thomas, his former SCTV castmate, huh. to bring back their parody show, The Great White North. For a fundraiser. For no a way. Event. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so he hasn't acted in 20 years. Wow. <laughs> and he's coming wow. back. Good for him. Remember Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? I love that movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's the yeah. That's the guy. All right, got it. I love that. On TV and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Are you ready? Well, let's go. Hello, everybody. On a Monday, Monday, June 5, uh, it is The Bill Press Show. Here we are all together again. Hope you had a great weekend, ready to dive into the news of the day. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill in the shadow of the Capitol Dome. We'll tell you what's going on here in Washington, around the globe, particular particular focus today on London, of course. And we want to hear from you as to what it all means to you, to your family, to your community. You know how to do it. Go on Twitter. Don't leave Twitter to Donald Trump. He's burning up the Twitter lines already this morning. But uh, we want to hear from you, not from Donald Trump, on Twitter, at BP Show. Send us your comments. As we join you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on Free Speech TV, hello, hello, out there on in TV land, and joining you on WCPT out in Chicago. Great to have you with us uh, today. Don't forget our podcast every day. You can uh, we were having dinner with some friends last night, and they said, you know, how can we find you during the day you know, if we don't have a progressive station where we live? So it's easy. Go to BillPressShow.com. Anytime during the day, you can hear the entire program on our podcast. Right, Peter? Yes, absolutely. Can I just say, by the way, thank you to everybody who has already uh, subscribed and left a review and listened yeah. to the podcast. We had uh, a huge month last month, and we're seeing giant growth uh, for our podcast. And it's all because people are going there and subscribing and telling their friends, 
You can get the entire show on iTunes or Bill Press Show. Just go check it out. And thank you very, very much for everybody who's already listened. And thanks to all of you also who have subscribed to Patreon, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, which is our sort of over and above very, very special stuff that we put up there exclusively for those who sign up for uh, Patreon. Yes, indeed. So we see this uh, horrific terrorist attack in London uh, over the weekend. Um, you know the details. Uh, three guys in a van crossing the London Bridge, scene of another terrorist attack uh, just a couple of months ago, uh, using the van as a kind of a ramrod, you know, running down pedestrians and then jumping out of the van with these long hunting knives and running into a market uh, and and stabbing at will um, uh, recklessly at, uh, at people there shopping in the market, um, people coming out of pubs. Uh, the last... Numbers we have um, seven, at least seven killed and 20 some uh, wounded. The three assailants were shot and killed by the by the London police. Uh, another horrific attack on top of Manchester, on top of the earlier attack in London, the third terrorist attack in the UK in three months. Uh, and you would think, right, that this is something where um, the entire world would unite behind the British people and offer them whatever assistance we can and offer whatever condolences we can. Um, it, it, it is not the time when you would expect that somebody would use this occasion to attack Islam, to promote a Muslim travel ban, or to um, break any ties of cooperation that we have with our European allies. But, of course, that is exactly what Donald Trump did, which is so disgusting. Uh, I was, some of you may have seen, I was on C-SPAN yesterday morning on this uh, program, Washington Journal, with the, with Steve Scully. And it's the first thing we talked about, and those are the points that I made. You know, our response should be horror at uh, at this attack on uh, on English soil yet again. Uh, our attack should be resolve to cooperate with our European allies, to cooperate with law enforcement agencies all around the world, to identify these extremists and to shut them down before they're able to commit any act of terror uh, uh, and break up those networks. Our response should not be a response of uh, declaring war on Islam, declaring war on all Muslims, or breaking the ties of uh, communication and cooperation uh, with our partners in this war on terror. But that's exactly what Donald Trump has done. And he did it, of course, the way he always does it, through these reckless, meaningless, stupid tweets of his. He can, he, you know, he can't help himself. You would think the presidential thing to do would be to come forward and say, ah, oh, how this is, how terrible this is. We really feel for our friends in the U.K., we want to offer them what assistance we can. Instead, Donald Trump just pokes them in the eye um, using, using he's done this before, by the way, using a terrorist attack on foreign soil to, to score cheap political points by saying this is the time we need more than ever to have our Muslim ban, attacking the courts for, for stopping his Muslim ban. And by the way, he calls it a ban yeah, he does. in his tweets. Calls it a ban. Calls, now he calls it a travel ban. 
not a Muslim ban. So number one, he comes out and says, this proves why we need my Muslim ban. Number two, he couldn't resist this. He comes out and says, notice nobody's talking about guns. You see, guns aren't the problem after all. They use a truck and they use knives. And so let's stop talking about any need for gun control. And then thirdly, he goes out and attacks the mayor of London, uh, Sadiq Khan, who, by the way, happens to be a Muslim. And Donald Trump totally misrepresents what the mayor had told the people of London uh, and attacks him for it. Again, just trying to score a cheap political point. It just proves that Donald Trump, not only is he not presidential, but he has no business being anywhere near the Oval Office. It's a, it's a monumental embarrassment for us, for the American people. You know, you, you say not presidential, and that and that's right. But it's also, I think, a bigger issue. He's just not a good leader. And like you no. think, you think yeah. about you think about in times like these where people are kind of freaked out, and you're maybe sort of worried. And his answer to all of this wasn't. We're working on this. We're going to keep you safe. We're, we were on, our best people are on top of it here in America. It's everybody panic. Everybody panic. Muslims are coming to kill white people, and you should all freak yeah. out. Yeah, that's his message. Which, you know, if you're leading a country, is not the greatest message to put out there. Well, actually, the very first tweet that Donald Trump put out was he. You talk about again. This is a guy who talked about fake news, right? Uh, he picked the very first thing he did is he picked up a quote from the Drudge Report from unnamed sources, the Drudge Report that said, fear of another terror attack, terror attack in the wake of what happened in London. Unsubstantiated, nothing behind it. This was not from the London police, not from, not from international intelligence agencies or anything. It was from the Drudge Report, which Donald Trump picked up and tweeted out to 31 million followers. Now, he did say, right, at one point, we are with you, uh, talking about the Brit, the, the British, British uh, and he said, we are with you, God bless, right? But that was after, the first thing he did was, again, fear of another terror attack. And then the second thing was, how much we need this Muslim travel ban. Uh, and then he goes on to, um, I'm getting it for you here, go after the mayor of London. So the mayor of London, in fact, the mayor of London, I I thought, really rose to the occasion here. Here he is yesterday speaking to the British people about um, keeping their calm in the wake of what is happening. People should remain calm and vigilant, carry carry on their normal business. Uh, The threat level remains that severe. And uh, Theresa May, the uh, Prime Minister, uh, again, of, of uh, England, the third time she's had to do this in front of 10 Downing Street, saying, again, let's uh, pull together here and get the enemy. Our response must be, as it has always been, when we have been confronted by violence. We must come together. We must pull together. And united, we will take on and defeat our enemies. Theresa May saying again, enough is enough. Okay. (laughs) Well, our country has made significant progress in disrupting plots and protecting the public. But it is time to say enough is enough. You know, you said that's the third time that she's had to do this. She hasn't been prime minister for very long. No, no. 
Right. And of course, the elections, I think, are this week, Thursday. Thursday. Thursday of this Thursday. week. Yeah. Just crazy. Thursday, Thursday of this week. Uh, so again, the mayor came out and he was talking to uh, talking to the BBC. Uh, and he said very, very strongly, right, that he was appalled and furious that these cowardly terrorists would target innocent civilians. He vowed we will never let them win, nor will we allow them to cower our city. And then he went on to say that one of the, the that you know you're going to see a lot of extra police around these time, these days, a lot of armed police. But he said, quote, there is no reason to be alarmed, meaning no reason to be alarmed when you see all these extra police officers in the street. That's the one that Donald Trump picked up on. And his tweet says, quote, at least seven dead and 48 wounded in terror attack and mayor of London says there's no reason to be alarmed. Totally out of context, totally misrepresenting what he said, not what the mayor said at all all. But again, Donald Trump just getting even with the mayor of London because, number one, he's a Muslim, and number two, he supported Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump in the during the campaign when Donald Trump, remember, uh, accused Br- the Brits of helping Barack Obama tap his phones at Trump Towers. So it's a little, polit- it's a little political feud there that Donald Trump uses, again, a terrorist attack uh, to continue, it's just it's just disgusting to see him stoop to this level. Uh, but that's that that was on the tweet storm. And by the way, it continued this morning. Continued this morning with Donald Trump is tweeting out several tweets this morning about we need this travel ban and get this blasting the Justice Department, his Justice Department, for weakening the ban when it appealed it to the Supreme Court. We have the tweets. We have the tweets from uh, less than an hour ago. People, the lawyers and the courts can call it whatever they want, but I am calling it what we need and what it is, a, all caps, travel ban. He goes on, the Justice Department should have stayed with the original travel ban, not the watered-down, politically correct version they submitted to SC, meaning the Supreme Court. The Justice Department should ask for an expedited hearing of the watered-down travel ban before the Supreme Court and seek much tougher version. In any event, we are, all caps, extreme vetting people coming into the U.S. in order to help keep our country safe. The courts are slow and political. Yeah, that's it. Take a terrorist attack on foreign soil, one of our allies, and turn it into uh, an occasion to score cheap political points and and to criticize his own Justice Department, right? For uh, for he says watering down watering down the travel ban. Uh, yeah, when yeah. he when he talks about the Justice Department, hello, who's in charge of the Justice? It's he not is. Loretta Lynch. No, not anymore. Right. With yes, uh, that's true. He might think he might think that. Right, uh, and, and and of course, uh, uh, you know anybody but Donald Trump can see a uh, Muslim ban, which is what it is. This travel ban would not in any way have prevented that terrorist attack in the UK. Uh, no, no way, no, no, no way, no how. Uh, nor would it prevent terrorist attacks here in the United States. Um, but that's Donald Trump's response. 
So this week is the week that James Comey is going to appear in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee and talk about his uh, conversation with Donald Trump, where Donald Trump pulled him aside after a meeting of his his intelligence briefing one morning uh, and said he'd need to talk to him about something special. And according to Comey, who I haven't heard all the details yet, but we do know he used that occasion to... uh, pressure him to drop the entire FBI investigation. Comey refused. Trump fired him. And now we have special prosecutor Robert Mueller. Comey's going to testify uh, to that before the Senate Intelligence Committee on Thursday, unless, unless Donald Trump uh, exercises his right of executive privilege and prevents Comey from testifying, saying, no, 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 uh, this was a private conversation between me and my FBI director, uh, and I am going to, which he could do, prevent uh, Comey from testifying. Uh, If that happens, uh, it would be very interesting to see what the Senate does in response to that and what James Comey does in response to that. Ask at our briefing on Friday uh, after, by the way, Scott Pruitt, God, what a disaster. You know, I went to the briefing on Friday only because I wanted to see Scott Pruitt in action talking about our dear leader. But after he left, Sean Spicer was asked whether or not uh, Trump would uh, prevent Comey from testifying. Uh, Sean Spicer once again says, I don't know what's going on. The date for that hearing was just set. I have not uh, spoken to counsel yet. I don't know what what that what they're going to how they're going to respond. You know what? Uh, first of all, I hope that Trump tries to prevent Comey from testifying. Oh, boy. Because if he does, that is certainly obstruction of justice, which is why I don't think he's, he would dare do it. But if he were to do it, there is nothing. So that means James Comey doesn't testify in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Uh, but James Comey can go anywhere and talk about what happened. He's no longer a federal employee. He's no longer the director of the FBI. He certainly has freedom of speech, and he's got a story to tell. James Comey, I hereby invite, we'll give him all two hours of this program if he wants. He could go on CNN. He could go on Fox. He could go on MSNBC, NBC, ABC, CBS, anywhere, and tell his story. And you know what? He will. Yeah. He will. Yeah. This could really bite Trump in the ass, I mean, if he does go that direction. And I'd like to think that even he is not so stupid or short-sighted that he he would see this coming, right? But I don't know. He might. He might very well shut it down and then, boy, well, oh, boy. He's crazy enough to do it. He is. And you know there are uh, a couple of crazy people around him. Um, Steve, Bannon, Steve Bannon, maybe. Mm-hmm, maybe. Steve Miller. Uh, Jared Kushner. <laughs> Uh, who would recommend that he do this just to show he's strong, just to show that he's in charge, right? Yeah. Uh, the imperial presidency, if you will. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, I I find it hard to believe they would be that dumb. On the other hand, they were that they were dumb enough to fire James Comey. And that has kind of turned around and bit, bitten them in the ass with uh, a, now a special prosecutor uh, in James Mueller. So one thing, that, uh, if they do that, they'll do that or they won't do it, we don't know yet. But one thing that White House is doing this week to try to get the attention away from James Comey is on Thursday, the same day Comey is testifying, 
Donald Trump is going on the road out to Cincinnati to talk about infrastructure. They have dubbed this Infrastructure Week, even though officially, by the way, you may recall, you regulars may recall, Infrastructure Week was actually about a month ago because we had former Transportation Secretary Ray LaHood Mm -hmm. in studio with us to kick off Infrastructure Week. So the White House didn't do anything when it was official. Now they're declaring their own Infrastructure Week. And so Donald Trump will go to Cincinnati on Thursday for a speech. He figures if he can get enough TV cameras outside of Washington, people will be watching his speech in Cincinnati instead of watching James Comey. Guess what? That's not going to work. No, I don't think that so. is not going to also work. what a what a uh, what a way to kick off infrastructure week by tweeting about the travel ban this morning. Oh, yeah. That, that really sets the tone. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so today, as the kickoff of infrastructure week, they're going to um, Donald Trump is going to announce that he supports the privatization of the air traffic controller system. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, I fly pretty often. And I, thought, I don't care if you fly once a year or once in your lifetime. One of the one of the great blessings that we have in this country is an air traffic control system that works. There are fifty thousand flights a day in this country. Okay, how many air, airplane crashes do you hear about in the United States anymore, or even around the world? Very, very, very few. They, they used to happen quite often. D- don't happen. D- don't happen now with any frequency at all. Our air traffic control system, uh, ever since uh, Ronald Reagan tried to wreck it, right, has gotten stronger and stronger. And I don't know about you, but I don't think the answer is, which Donald Trump wants to do, is to take our air traffic control system and turn it over to private companies, any private company. I mean, again, I mentioned Comcast at the very top of the program. I mean, how many times has your computer crashed, right, because of Comcast? Right. I mean, who are you going to trust to take over the air traffic controllers after they, they do such a great system? Now, we have to upgrade. They talk about the airlines, talk about going from radar and voice communication to satellite and, and higher technology, of course. And the FAA is doing that. Um, it, but but the idea, this 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 concept, I've never bought into, that the private sector can always do it better than government does is just false. It's just phony. Uh, I mean, again, look at Medicare. It's a single payer government system. It's the best healthcare system we've got in this country. That's what we should have done for instead of Obamacare, going to Medicare for everybody. Look at the VA hospitals. Yeah, they had some weight problems, but otherwise, once you get there, it's the best the best care that veterans can get anywhere in the country. Uh, and so, take our air traffic control system, which is which works today to perfection, and then turn it over to who to Uber or to I don't know, again Comcast or even AT and T, any of them. No way. You know, it's. I was thinking about this a lot actually uh, this weekend when I was hearing about this, and it's or, or this morning when I was hearing about this. There's only one person realistically that's between us and the con men, and it's a con man. Yeah, 
Yeah. Right. Like, say what you will about Barack Obama, but things like the Consumer Protection Bureau, right, that he put into place, like that was a way to say big businesses cannot continue to harm and hurt like average Americans, right? Because if we if they were just left to their own devices, they would, and they'd cut corners, and it would not be a good. It's not a good site, right? So we had a lot of things in place already. Barack Obama went even farther with it with, like, the Consumer Protection Bureau. Donald Trump wants to get rid of that. Donald Trump wants to get rid of anything that will stand in the way of pure big business from having its way with American consumers, which is pretty dangerous. I mean, it could really wreak havoc. (coughs) So watch for their phony arguments about that today. And again, back to the um, briefing. On uh, Friday, uh, Scott Pruitt uh, at the White House uh, defending uh, Donald Trump's decision the day before. It was the same old crap. It's the same old uh, our dear leader, our dear leader, our dear leader. So he showed such courage by pulling out of the Paris Accords. He's such a great man. He's just so wonderful. I just love him, love him, love him, love him. I mean, it's so sickening to hear these uh, these yes men around Donald Trump, particularly Scott Pruitt. Um, and he was asked at that at our briefing, he was there maybe 20 minutes. He was asked probably seven or eight times if Donald Trump believes that still believes climate change is a hoax, which he said. Uh, and uh, Scott Pruitt would not answer the question, would not. He kept saying that what this is all about is this is the United States versus the rest of the world. And we don't have to apologize for pulling out of Paris. Every time he was asked that question, he came up with some phony, um, you know, sideline or or tangent instead of answering the question. Sean Spicer was asked the question yet again after he took over maybe another five or six times. So do you know whether Donald Trump actually believes in climate change or does he still think it's a hoax? Sean Spicer. I have not had an opportunity to have that discussion. Ah, this is the number one issue. They have a rose garden ceremony with With a band with a band and the vice president and Scott Pruitt and all of those hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of White House staffers that they had out there to applaud the president. This was the number one story of the week. And Scott Pruitt doesn't know the answer. Well, yesterday they finally sent somebody out to speak about Donald Trump's real views on climate change. Uh, our ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley. President Trump believes the climate is changing, and he believes pollutants are part of that equation. Now, are we supposed to believe her? No. No. (laughs) Absolutely not. What does she know? What does she know? You mean the press secretary doesn't know? No, sir. No. (laughs) The administrator of the EPA doesn't know? I mean, we haven't heard from Donald Trump himself. We haven't heard from Mike Pence. We are from the Nikki Haley, and we're supposed to believe it. Oh, case resolved. I think Al Gore said it better, exactly how, what this administration looks like when it comes to that important issue of climate change. Al Gore resurfacing yesterday, an inconvenient truth. Yes, indeed. Remember that? Here he is on State of the Union, CNN. The administration uh, comes off as tongue-tied and confused about the climate crisis because the truth is still inconvenient for the large carbon polluters and they don't want to to stop the polluting of the atmosphere it interferes with their business plan 
And Donald Trump just goes right along with them. Yeah. By the way, you see who's leading the briefing today? Oh, God. Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Wait, really? One thirty p.m. Oh, wow. Hmm. <laughs> well, it was funny. Uh, at the end of the briefing on uh, Friday, uh, Sean Spicer said, well, it's Friday. Uh, will we get off work or we, we get off work early and leave early on Fridays, right? And a couple of people said, I wonder if that means he's not coming back. Yeah, right. There we are. That's very interesting. All right. Yes, indeed. Lots more. Lots more on the news of the day. We start out with Nikki Schwab from the Daily Mail uh, with all of you. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Um, I don't. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, here we go on Monday, Monday, June 5, The Bill Press Show. Great to have you with us today as we uh, jump off into a new week with a lot going on here in Washington, D.C., and a lot over the weekend. Uh, Much of it in the wake of Donald Trump's decision announced from the Rose Garden on Thursday to pull the United States out of the uh, Paris Accords. Nikki Schwab, political reporter for the Daily Mail, uh, joins us here in studio. And um, it's been a busy time, Nikki, huh? Oh, it has. It has. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) Happy Monday. Yeah. Nice to see you. So um, uh, Donald Trump, uh, the Daily Mail, uh, takes advantage of a terrorist attack, yet again a third one in the last three months in the U.K., to um, say this is why we need my Muslim travel ban. Exactly. And he did this, you know, yesterday on (laughs) sort of on the heels of this terror attack in London. And then today I just saw that he sent out another flurry of tweets saying they should have stuck with the original ban. They should have sent that to the Supreme Court, you know, yada, yada, yada. So he's really sort of pushing this ban again. Which I, I kind of thought that he was going to like let lie for a while because he's having so much other problems politically with all the Russia stuff. But he's like, no, we're going to go full full travel ban. He'll also, he'll also just fight with anybody. Yeah. I mean, this is a fight with Jeff Sessions. Yeah. This is a fight with his Justice Department. Yeah. How's that going to play out? Good times. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't imagine this is going to end well. And I can't imagine the Supreme Court, even with Neil Gorsuch, is going to be like, yeah, no, I think this is definitely, you know, cool with the Constitution to do this. Well, also, the word ban is a loaded word. And um, we have gone around and around and around in the in the briefing room at the White House with Sean Spicer. About Where he said it wasn't was, a ban. It was not a ban. And reporters say, yeah, well, the president uses the word ban. And Sean Spice says, it's not a ban. How many times do I have to tell you? Well, yet again this morning, the president calls it over and over again. And I believe it was in all caps. In all caps. In all caps. It's a ban. Travel ban. And the ACLU yesterday, I believe it was the ACLU, tweeted out, like, I'm glad Mm -hmm. we can agree that it's a ban, Mr. Trump. Mm-hmm. Because they want that to be part of the sort of the le- legal discussion of this, because it would be easier easier to get knocked down by the SCOTUS, obviously, if it's considered a ban. And the courts so far, every court decision on this issue, has gone back to Donald Trump's tweets and comments as a candidate. Yes, uh, and and also then as president, where he called it a ban and said what he wanted to do was to ban all Muslims. 
and pointed, from coming to this country. And pointed out the fact that his campaign statement remained on his campaign website up yes. until a couple of weeks ago, up until it was going, um, you know, up, up against, you know, back to, back to the judges. We're going to look at it again. And it was like, oh, now we're going to, you know, so try to surreptitiously pull this off of our campaign website. And I, rem- I mean, everyone knows that statement. I mean, it was it was yeah. a huge deal whenever it landed, you know, in the it was right after San Bernardino where he made the original announcements. But the fact that it had stayed up through, you know, all these original court cases until a couple of weeks ago is, is just kind of is baffling. <laughs> right. So but not only so does he does he try to s- score cheap political points on the travel ban in the wake of this terror, terror attack in London. But he uses it as yet again an occasion to attack the mayor of London. Of London. Yes. What is it between the mayor of London and Donald? I mean, they've got this feud going. Right? It's it's very odd, I think. And you know, and people, is it because Sadiq Khan happens to be a Muslim? I mean, I don't want to say that on air, but it doesn't. I'll say it. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't look. It doesn't look good. Um, and people pointed out that. Trump hadn't even offered his condolences to the British people before, before he, he started yeah. this Twitter feud and brought up the travel ban. He did like on the third tweet. Yeah. I think, because like, he, By the way, sorry people died, but here's yeah. why we should have the travel ban. And in a lot of these cases, it's been sort of nationals of these countries in Europe that have actually been the aggressors. So the travel ban wouldn't even work in this in this regard. Oh no, and would have nothing to do in uh, would in no way have I mean, prevented this attack. It has only only the only thing it has to do with it is the fact that you know perhaps the attackers are Muslim, and which it goes back to the original banning of Muslims. Uh, Al Gore resurfaced uh, over the weekend. We just played. Let's hear that bite again if we can, Jamie. Uh, he is. Uh, we're going to talk about climate change. Of let's course. face it. He's the first politician. I mean, I can't tell you how many years ago it was that. I was at a fundraiser when he was still in the Senate in California. So it's been and, and this was an, early nineties. Yeah, and and Al Gore was uh, he was one of the guests at this fundraiser, and he gave a little slideshow presentation about something that nobody knew one damn thing about global warming. And it was that same slideshow, correct? Well, it, 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 I mean, it, it probably did it all evolved yeah. into uh, inconvenient truth. Here's Al Gore on State of the Union yesterday. The administration uh, comes off as tongue-tied and confused about the climate crisis because the truth is still inconvenient for the large carbon polluters, and they don't want to to stop the polluting of the atmosphere. It interferes with their business plan. Uh, you've been writing about this, so, so um, I mean, one strong voice, certainly of many, yeah, critical of the uh, Paris decision. You know, I I thought that I really thought that Trump. Well, might have turned around on this because there's all this all this reporting that you know Ivanka and Jared and sort of the sort of the more not I don't want to say more educated heads, but that they were really pushing for him to stay in Paris. And I actually think you know why did he do this? Because it's interesting. Cause Scott Pruitt was like, oh, it's not a political move, not a political move. But I don't know how it's not a political move because I mean he's basically alienated himself from. How many world leaders, including the Chinese president, because the Chinese, I mean, it was a big deal for them to come alongside us in the beginning on this on this Paris agreement. And the fact that we walked away from it. I mean, you know, a lot of allies are are saying, like, what like what are you doing over there? So why did he do it? I think that he obviously wanted to get some points from his base. But I think it would have been very easy for him 
to tell everybody in you know Pennsylvania and Ohio and wherever that I'm going to stay in this for the reason of jobs. I don't know why that wasn't the argument here. And instead it's this, oh, well, it's, it's, it actually is about jobs. But, it, but how could it be? I mean, there's how many coal mining jobs left in the U.S.? I mean, the reason why, I mean, I'm from Pennsylvania. The reason why coal mining is, is partially dying is because of fracking. Because it's, it's easier now to frack and get that energy out of the ground than to mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And whatever you think about fracking, it is true. Natural gas is the, it's natural gas which has killed coal. Exactly. It's not it's, environmental it, opposition that is exactly. It, it's the fact that you know they've opened up all these other you know all all the shale that's available in you know all parts of Pennsylvania. I mean they're sucking all the natural gas out of the ground, and that's why coal mining in that area has also died. Right. Um, and the other thing that we pointed out on this program it's worth doing again is that Paris is a voluntary agreement whereby each country decides how it is going to meet the goal of reducing carbon emissions. It was incredibly we flexible. Could, yeah. We could, in, in this country, if we we could build, if we wanted to, 150, or not build, develop 150 new coal mines. There's nothing nothing in Paris that says you can't have a new coal mine. Yeah. Donald Trump is just lying when he says it's that. It's the market that has dictated the fact that the coal miners are the losers and the frackers right now are the winners. And also green energy is, is where it's at because of things like Paris. But it's not it's, that's not necessarily why the market is moving in that direction. And the other thing where he misrep- totally misrepresents what's going on is, yeah, there was a time when China and India were the big polluters and wouldn't have wouldn't wouldn't play at all. Right now, they see see the opportunity. They both kn- China, particularly China, but China signs. and India, in renewable energies. I heard over the weekend. I think it was an NPR. There are three million renewable, I mean renewable energy jobs, in China now. Yeah, three million in solar solar panels and wind and all this stuff. That's they're moving in that direction. Same with India. India set a goal of being one hundred percent renewable energy. Yeah, and with electric cars, that's where they're moving, and that's where the United States ought to be moving. Instead, we're ceding that territory. No and sense. Future jobs I, to I, India and China. I don't know why, and I think maybe it's because it was always sort of Hillary Clinton's argument whenever she would sort of talk about what to do with coal miners, and she did speak about it a lot on the campaign trail. You know, we're going to have to sort of move people into. Unfortunately, you know, the way she put it was it was always uh, it was always bad. It was never yeah. a, a, a selling point. She almost. It was almost bragging about, we're going to put those coal miners out of work. I mean, in, in not as many words, yeah, she essentially said, if you're a coal yeah. miner, we're going to put you out of a job. Yeah, yeah. Not the way to go about it. No, but, no. But on the issue, she was but, correct. But, but the, but the coal second, mining jobs are not coming The back. second part of what she was trying to say was that she was going to sort of move them into more of a, this more green economy. But no one ever listened to that part of the soundbite. Why haven't, why haven't we heard more from um, Barack Obama on Paris, do you think? Well, he he did send out a statement very quickly, so he you know he did basically say this is irresponsible and this is dumb and I'm, of course I don't have the statement in front of me so I don't remember exactly the yeah. adjectives that he used but I mean he was it was definitely not a fan but it is interesting that we haven't seen him actually give any kind of screen time to this because I would think that he would also be on the Sunday shows complaining and being like this is this is a terrible move but now it's kind of like what's done is done I mean Trump has already made this announcement. I could kind of, I, I'm still not sure it's actually going to happen because it takes so many years to actually, you know, disentwine from this thing. But yeah, that's an interesting thing about well, about Obama, right? Because we've looked at George W. Bush, and you've said many times, like that's sort of 
Good for him for just getting out of the way and shutting up and not saying anything during the Obama years. But there is there is something different about Trump. And I think that especially with Democrats, they're sort of looking for somebody to point them in the right direction. Yeah. And Barack Obama could be that guy, but I also guess that there is something to the God, I hate to use something so silly about Donald Trump. Like there's a sanctity of the office, right? Like if you were the president, it's kind of tough to you know, throw haymakers against the guy that's currently doing the job. I mean, even the fact that he, I mean, he literally had a statement ready to go to to sort of yell at Trump about the Paris Agreement within, I don't know, 10 minutes into the announcement. So, I mean, they were were primed and ready for this. But, I mean, one statement that we all quote in our, our news articles is not the same as Obama actually coming out and speaking about it. Right. So I think he's kind of trying to have it both ways a little bit, which is probably smart for him. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I'm not criticizing President Obama for being on the sidelines because I I do think overall that's the that's what former yeah. presidents should do. Yeah, I I really respect the fact that George W. Bush kept his mouth shut, unlike Dick Cheney, and I think President Obama appreciated that, recognized that, and respected that, and thought that's the proper role for a former president. But you have to you have to say it's got to be tough. It's got to be tough on Obama to see. The two things that are his ma- most important legacy, <laughs> Paris, climate change overall. Climate change, uh, healthcare, with, uh, And healthcare, And the, those are the two that Donald Trump is going and after he's, and, full bore. And Trump and, is uh, always going to be, he's the birther guy for Obama. So there's always going to be something really, really personal for right. him. But I want to come back to what you said about um, how difficult it is to, to disentangle uh, from Paris. I mean, when you think about it, uh, so it, it just took effect last year. Uh, November 16. So you can't pull out before three years, which gets us into 19. And then it takes a year of processing and paperwork and everything, which says so four years. So Donald Trump, if we're lucky, will be out, even if he lasts the whole first term, would be out of the White House before, in effect, his decision would take effect. It's November 2020. Yeah. Which is kind of hilarious. And right. it actually yeah. it sort of tees up climate change to be a campaign issue. Which, the number which, could be the number so, one issue in 2020. Again, assuming Donald Trump lasts long enough to run for reelection, which uh, I'm not sure he does. And I hope he doesn't. But my point <laughs> is, I guess, that with all this uh, noise right about it, it may not happen. Yeah. I, I, right? I'm I skeptical it, that it's going to happen. And I feel like. I'm, I don't know how he sort of is like, never mind, guys. Like Brexit may, still may not happen. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet. It's a dumb vote, I think. But Brits right now, if they had an opportunity, would reverse the vote. They see what a dumbass move it was. Yeah. Uh, just like electing Donald Trump was such a dumbass move. <laughs> uh, and so that just because of the process that um, it's possible we may never actually get out of Paris, even though Donald Trump wants to. That's though, though he, Almost like he doesn't know how to lead. Although he doesn't know what he's doing in the job. He's, he's, he is shuffling, along, shuffling around a lot of papers. It yeah, seems. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. That's my favorite. Did you see the one where they, they had like the supercut of Trump just shifting papers around on the desk and they put a little <laughs> cat face in front of him? Because he's like a little cat. He's like, yeah. he'll sit at a desk and everybody's talking and he'll just. He's like doing work. Doing shifting work. and moving papers around. Yeah. Uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee. Big hearing this week on Thursday. Get your what? popcorn ready, you know, everyone. Uh, let me tell you, Washington, the streets of Washington are going to be deserted on 
what about nine o'clock like on get Thursday your morning? Yeah, everybody, yeah, yeah. everybody's got to be in front of the tube watching that. Indeed, uh, the ranking Democrat of the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee, Mark Warner, was on yesterday asking and was asked about whether or not um, they see he sees any evidence yet of collusion. There is a lot of smoke. We have no smoking gun at this point, but there is a lot of smoke. What does that mean? Nikki? That is a that I mean, I obviously led with that quote in my story because it was fantastic. Um, yeah, lots lots of smoke. So that a lot of you know a lot of a lot of potential angles for collusion, but not. It, it really does say, I guess, that they don't have the the hard evidence yet, but there there's enough related stuff that this is a serious investigation and they, they think there really could be something there, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you listened to Hillary Clinton last week and she was sort of talking about, well, the Russians got a hold of all this information, but they would almost need Americans' help and Americans that are steeped in American politics to actually weaponize it the way that they did. And that was sort of her sort of, oh, well, someone might be responsible and she's at this code conference, and so they ask her, well, who who do you think was this person? And she's like, of course it was Trump and his associates. Pro- probably, I'm, I would guess not Trump himself, but perhaps somebody around him. But that's still, you know, we're getting very close to the White House, especially with all the Jared Kushner stuff. Right. Who were people around Trump who were, again, we're speculating here, but that who were saying – you ought to look at this, or you ought to look at this, or this is how this connects to this, right? Sort of helping the Russians through the American political system. Yeah, I mean, they were talking about states and demographics being targeted. And I don't know if, if you were, you know, a foreign entity, if you would know, oh, I should target, you know, middle-aged white voters in Wisconsin with, you know, this dif- disinformation campaign, mm-hmm. right? So you would have to really understand how our electoral processes work, I think, to fully implement a campaign that would be really successful in this in this manner. Uh, New York Times front page today. Um, more information about the banker uh, that uh, Jared Kushner met with at Trump Tower in December 2016. I mean, this this isn't just. First of all, this bank was under sanctions by the United States, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but also, this just isn't isn't just another bank. The president of the bank is a former KGB officer, and the bank is. One hundred percent owned by the Russian government. So he was meeting with a Russian intelligence official masquerading as a banker. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In Trump Tower. That's crazy. And I mean, then the whole story with the setting up the back channel to potentially use the Russian embassy to have these conversations as well. I mean, it was funny. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to some sources, and they were like, you know, as soon as it gets to Jared Kushner, you know it's really bad news for Trump. And then the stories started coming out about Jared Kushner. It was like, oh, this is this is now hitting very close to home. Flynn, he can at least distance himself and be like, hey, he's just a dude that I picked up during the campaign and we yeah. were buddies, but, you know, whatever. But this is now his son-in-law and his favorite daughter's husband. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it, it comes so fast. That's the thing. It's just like... People, I mean, I wasn't around for Watergate, but Watergate took a long time. It really did. For it to all happen. It was like three years. <laughs> Actually, somebody said recently, man, I wish we would have had Twitter during the Watergate years because it would have gone way faster. Yeah, right? <laughs> Seriously. But, like, this is just going so, so, so fast. Like, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine this is going to go on for three years. 
Look how long it took us to find out who Deep Throat was. Yeah, right? Oh, God. That was, what, in the 90s? Yeah. When we finally found out. I remember I was in For high decades. school at the time. Oh, When they boy. announced it was Mark Felt. Yeah. Decades it took. Uh, yeah, but you're right. If there were Twitter, I thought, it would have, are you kidding? Carl Bernstein would have been tweeting. <laughs> oh, it would have been so good. <laughs> or from a Roslyn parking garage. <laughs> yeah, right. Talking to a source from the deep state. <laughs> So does, Kush, does Kushner survive? How could he not survive, right? I mean, Don Trump's not There's gonna... no way he's going to ax his son-in-law. Right, yeah. I mean, I think that he, That's... his family is so close to him that he would probably, you know, th- those are sort of the, the few people that Donald Trump wouldn't sort of throw aside in order to save himself, I would think. Yeah. You know, I was just remembering what, that one, one, th- one point we forgot to make earlier, uh, or I did about Donald Trump's response to the London attack is, of course, after all these tweets, what does he do yesterday? He goes out and plays around the golf. Yeah. yeah. His Who, 23rd, I believe. Yeah. I have it written in the in the piece that we did. And it was it was both days this weekend. Both days. Saturday and Sunday he was at the golf course. Of course, we don't know that. Because he was at the golf course, we're not supposed to assume he's playing golf, even though he shows up with a golf cap and a Sports shirt on. Well, and, Pey- yeah, Peyton Manning and was wearing some shoes. chinos and like a, a button down. That, that is not like a you know proper yeah. meeting type outfit. Uh, no, 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 we know he was playing golf both days. This is the man who, of course, re- relentlessly attacked Barack Obama for playing golf uh, when there were important things going on as well. He won't. He Did won't it? just acknowledge that he was playing golf. It's so weird to me, and I get why because it would obviously be hypocritical. Of but, after all the things he said about what Obama, what does he think that like the press is going to think? I mean, he is he literally is followed by a pool of reporters, and they're like shoved in a room in his golf club. Like yeah. where? Like what does he think that they think that he's doing? I mean, it just baffles yeah. my mind. And actually, I bet yeah. you the White House was really annoyed because what had happened is the motorcade pulls back in, and there's Peyton Manning and Senator Corker, and of course all the AP photographers are snapping all these pictures yeah. Yeah. as like as proof that not only was he golfing, but he had like a celebrity guest. Yeah, I mean, they, 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 they go out of their way to hide the fact that he's golfing, and it doesn't work. <laughs> no, <laughs> it no. hasn't worked at because all. Because reporters work at the White House. Uh, you mentioned, um, <laughs> right? You mentioned uh, Hillary Clinton uh, just a few, couple of minutes ago. Uh, she was at this Recode conference. Yes, she uh, was. And um, ask again about whatever happened in November uh, uh, 2016. She not only mentioned, uh, pointed the finger at some of the people she's pointed the finger at before as being responsible for her loss. James Comey, the Russians, Bernie Sanders. I don't think she said Bernie Sanders, but some of her supporters do. But she said now it was the added the DNC. Here we go. I inherit nothing from the Democratic Party. What do you mean nothing? I mean it was bankrupt. It was on the verge of insolvency. Its data was mediocre to poor, non-existent, wrong. DNC, responsible for her. Uh, not everybody who worked at the DNC at the time is happy with that, as you have reported. Oh, my gosh. I mean, so... You this... have to watch your language now when you quote. Uh, <laughs> you had to Can use... Can I a... say F-ing? Yes. F-ing? Yes. B-s? Yes. That is... Uh, yeah, so one former Democratic <laughs> staffer who now who now works for the, the mayor of Boston or the city of Boston, so I think that's kind of funny because I feel like all those Bostonians are, like, sassy. But um, he, he basically tweets, and he was like, yeah, f-ing. 
B S. Hillary and like basically was like, hey, staffers, like, don't let her her get get you down because that was ridiculous that she started blaming the DNC. And and then the, the best tweet, I thought, was the fact that he pointed out at the he had a couple, you know, ranty tweets on this matter. But he was like, oh, and by the way, um, the DNC's data showed that Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and Michigan were nowhere near close. So and told the campaign that. and told the campaign that and, the and campaign, you didn't boy. listen and the campaign didn't listen and didn't do anything about it. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. I, I was wondering what Donna Brazil thinks about uh, Hillary Clinton's quotes. Haven't heard from Donna. We haven't heard from her. Have we? No. no, we haven't. She's indeed. been very quiet. Man, I got to tell you, you have been so busy, Nikki. So thanks coming in for coming in and uh, on so many different topics this morning. Anytime, guys. Great to see you. Thanks Daily for having Mail, me. DailyMail.com. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. London experiences a terrorist attack, so let's attack the mayor of London. Yeah, that's Donald Trump's response. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you today on this Monday, June 5. Uh, it is the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live, as always, from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with all the big stories of the day here from Washington, around the country, around the globe, a special focus on London today. Uh, it's good to see you. Hope you uh, had a good weekend and are ready to uh, join us for our discussion of the news. We appreciate your being with us, whether you're listening or watching. And um, we, on these important matters affecting our national security, we welcome national security correspondent for Politico, Ali Watkins here in studio with us. Hi, Ali. I haven't seen you in a while. Nice to. I know. It's been a little bit. Nice to have you back. The last time we had you on, you were in that weird realm between BuzzFeed and Politico. You hadn't officially started Politico. There was like a six hour gap. Yeah, we we got you. You guys were like the only ones who caught me in the six (laughs) hour. It also was only like three weeks ago, but it feels like it was. It might as well have been a century ago at this point. So I've aged five years. Yeah, it feels like it. Right. So you're all on the uh, Politico team. I am. I am fully on the Politico team now. Nice. All right. Great. Uh, at Politico.com, of course. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you about what you think about all the issues of the day. You know how to do so. Don't leave Twitter to Donald Trump. You take command of Twitter and send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. We'll get right to it with Ali Watkins. But first... <laughs> This Peter. is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news this weekend at the box office. Bill, did you go see Wonder Woman? <laughs> no, and I'm not going to. Ja- I know Jamie saw it. Ray and I both saw it. I'm going to go this. Really? This, I'm going to go this week. 
We loved it. It's we supposed both loved to be. It. It's supposed to be very, very good. Actually, the dialogue, especially the story, of the dialogue is is fantastic. Uh, a friend of mine saw it and loved it. Oh, there uh, you go. So yeah. Well, here's but. the thing. It brought in a hundred million dollars for its opening in North America this weekend. That means that it is the largest opening weekend for a movie directed by a lady. Patty Jenkins is the director. Uh, she brought in, like I said, $100 million for Wonder Woman. It's the first major superhero film to be led by a woman and a female director. On top of that, 52% of the film's audience were female, hmm. which is a huge number for, I mean, it's a comic yeah. book movie. Yeah, right. Uh, and especially DC, which has not but been But still the biggest movie movies. of the summer, isn't it? I mean, there's been... Pretty lackluster. Uh, I think Guardians of the Galaxy. I think Guardians too. is oh. still, still the top. biggest one, but then yeah. this is probably uh, probably second. Uh, over the weekend in London, there was a makeup concert. Remember, Ariana Grande yes, was yes, performing yes. when there was that terror attack uh, two, less than two weeks ago. They had uh, the makeup concert, the One Love Manchester Benefit concert, took place over the weekend. Ariana Grande closed out the performance, but there were other performances. Robbie Williams, Pharrell Williams, Take That, Katy Perry. Uh, Miley Cyrus showed up and performed mm. with uh, Ariana Grande, the Black Eyed Peas. So it was a uh, it was a big big moment there in uh, in England. Did you see the video of the cop dancing with the little girls? Oh, that was so cute in the streets. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. that's cute. That's cute. <laughs> Jeez, Peter. Well, what? Why, 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 I don't trust the police ever. <laughs> like, especially if they're dancing around with little kids. Like that, that's cute. But Fair like, enough. Fair you're enough. still a cop, dude. Uh, and how about this? If you were on a flight... Can I just disassociate myself from the <laughs> comments of Peter Ogberg? It's all right. I'm not saying they're bad. I he just does like... not speak for the program. Black. He does not speak for Jamie. He doesn't speak for me, nor for Ollie. Black fair. t-shirt, yes. black soul. Fair. That's fair. Uh, if you were on a flight from Philadelphia to Reykjavik over the weekend, you were you got a bad, bad, bad surprise. You got on the plane, and it smelled so bad. That they had to stop the plane, turn it around, and go back. They didn't even make it because the smell was too bad. They never isolated what the smell was. I was going to say, what was they didn't it? Didn't isolate what it was. The plane fish, was too bad. It was too bad. Out. Tuna. <laughs> it's always tuna. Ludafisk. <laughs> On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Off we go on a Monday, June 5. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us here on the uh, Bill Press Show as we reach out to you coast to coast on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Looking at you coast to coast also on Free Speech TV. In the Chicago area, we join you on WCPT as well. Nice to have you with us. Uh, and we look forward to hearing your comments from you, your comments on the news of the day, uh, particularly Donald Trump's tweets about what happened in London. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Ali Watkins here with us, national security correspondent for Politico. And uh, if one thing we learned from London, Ali, it is if only we had that Muslim travel ban in place. This That's not a travel ban. This would not have happened. Not a travel ban? Remember, it's not a travel ban. Until we say on Twitter it's a travel ban. Until we say this morning it is a travel ban. I'm sure by tomorrow it won't be a travel ban anymore. No. 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 I mean, what is going on? Um, First of all, 
What do we know about this attack in, in, in London, who they were, and ISIS claims credit? ISIS claims credit, which frankly doesn't necessarily mean anything in this current anymore, environment. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know that there's been a ton of details coming out about who they actually think it. It's what's going to be interesting to me is from a Washington naval gazer perspective is whether you know we had this whole issue with the Manchester bombings of the Brits essentially telling the U.S. like, can you guys stop leaking everything we're telling you? There was that whole spat. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm curious to see if a lot of this is going to leak out of the U.S. papers, if we've kind of like righted that or if the Brits are going to be a little hesitant to share some of the stuff coming out. I saw this morning uh, that uh, headline that the the police do know now who they were, but um, but we don't have we don't really have any details. No, Uh, it doesn't sound like other people have been arrested, though. So it looks like they did not act alone. Yeah, it, it definitely. I mean, there was enough people, and there was enough people involved in the attack. There was what, like three or three. four? Yeah, three, three people yeah. actually involved in the attack, which obviously speaks to you know more coordination than some guy just you know pulling a ripcord kind of thing. Um, doesn't this underscore dealing with terrorism like this the importance of cooperation between intelligence agencies, the kind of cooperation that Donald Trump? Kind of took a wrecking ball to a couple of weeks ago. Well, the yeah, I mean, broadly, there's so many weird moving parts to the conversation. Obviously, the relationship between the U.S. and the Brits on an intel sharing front is arguably probably the strongest in in the world. Has always been. Yeah, and they're part of Five Eyes, which is um, the U.S., Canada, uh, Great Britain, Australia, and New Zealand. Um, So there is this... There's this long-standing tradition of sharing intelligence. But frankly, I don't know that the question is really sharing intelligence within Five Eyes. I think, you know, Trump certainly has the capacity to dismantle that. I don't know that that he's mm-hmm. gone down that road yet. Um, but the real issue seems to be that a lot of these people were flagged before these. I mean, I think I believe that happened with the Manchester bombing. It appears to have happened here that, you know, I saw reports yesterday that people have been, you know, at least calling the authorities. So the coordination issue doesn't necessarily seem to be on an international level between the U.S. and the Brits, but also on a, you know, between a local authority and a national counterterror authority in in the U.K. And frankly, that's an issue in the U.S. too. Of You know, people have been flagged. U.S. law enforcement either can't or doesn't do anything. And then next thing you know, people are like, how did these men slip through the cracks? What is the connection between uh, what happened in London and Donald Trump's travel ban? Um, He's I, trying to make one. Yeah, I was going to say, I, this is a trick question. I don't think there is one. <laughs> yeah. uh, it feels, like, it right. feels like a quantum leap to go yeah. from that to our version of the travel ban. Yeah. I, there's also the... This is going to sound awful to say. I, these attacks are happening in Europe. There's a reason they're happening in Europe. The U.S. has this natural geographic separation, too, that, like, you know, we don't – there doesn't need to be a travel ban. There's already a, a literal ocean, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't – I mean, the travel ban doesn't solve anything anyway. But if that's the argument you're going to make, yeah. there is also not really grounds for it on that side either. Right. Um, and th- on, on top of the, uh, the, the, the uncomfortable nature, maybe, uh, between the United States, uncomfortableness about the, the United States and the U.K. over Donald Trump, or over the leaking of the information mm. on, on Manchester, now you've got Donald Trump in this spat with the mayor. 
of London. And there was a very goes clear... goes back to the campaign. And there was a very clear messaging split. I don't know if you saw the U.S. Embassy in London was tweeting a lot of support for the mayor, and then Trump and the White House were not. So it's it's almost like... I don't know. It's like amateur hour. You see just this mixed messaging coming from the administration, like clearly either a lack of coordination or, yeah, I I, I don't know. There was clearly a breakdown somewhere there. And talk about lack of communication within the administration. Uh, this morning, Donald Trump's tweets, I'm sure you've seen, there were three of Which them, one? I believe, yeah. where he was criticizing uh, the Justice Department, his, our Justice Department, saying that they should not have watered down the Muslim, the travel ban before they sent it to the Supreme Court. Here's what he tweeted this morning, uh, starting about an hour ago. <clears throat> uh, people, the lawyers and the courts can call it whatever they want, but I'm calling it what we need and what it is, a travel ban. The Justice Department should have stayed with the original travel ban, not the watered-down, politically correct version they submitted to SC for the Supreme Court. The Justice Department should ask for an expedited hearing of the watered-down travel ban before the Supreme Court and seek a much tougher version. In any event, we are, all caps, extreme vetting people coming into our U.S. in order to help keep our country safe. The courts are slow and political. That's his no. morning rant. Of course, we don't know from tweets. We don't get morning. a lot That's what of, he wrote this morning. We don't get a lot of information, but there was uh, the first Muslim ban, which was seven countries, right? And then they came up with the shot down by the courts. So they came up with the second one, which was six countries. Uh, and supposedly then Christians, and under that one, Christians did not get a special preference, which they did in the first one. Now, what went to the Supreme Court, I'm not really sure, but the fact is... Whatever went to the Supreme Court was Donald Trump's own Justice Department that sent it to the Supreme Court. Now he's attacking Jeff Sessions? This is the latest war? I had not seen those tweets yet. Um, I was driving. Um, Wow. Yeah, that's um, an interesting approach. Bizarre, right, for the president to be... Using Twitter to attack his attorney general? Well, you can almost picture the White House comm staff going like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, he's, I'm, I'm assuming he's not running this through people. Yeah, I think just from a strictly, like, not non-political, you know, not even touching the politics of this, this is just not a good strategy. <laughs> like, if you want to get something to happen, it's just not a good strategy. I mean, how many times has Sean Spicer had to stand up in front of the White House press corps and go, oh, it's not a ban. It's not a ban. We're not calling it. It's not a ban. It's not. And he just he called it a travel ban flat out in a couple of different tweets this morning. All caps. All caps. And like, and the reason that it's been shot down before is because of the dumb stuff that fell out of his mouth or out of his fingers onto Twitter. But he, he called it a Muslim ban or called it a ban. They look and said, this was what you said. Like, he's just, he just, oh, God. It's yep. amazing. Uh, it well. is pretty incredible, actually. <laughs> I it mean, can't be a ban if you're letting a million people in. If 325,000 people from another country can't come in, that is by nature not a ban. No. I've been there so many times when Sean Hannity, just, uh, Sean, Sean Hannity, Sean Spicer keeps it's not a ban. It's not a ban. And the reporters keep pointing out, Donald Trump calls it a ban. Yeah. So why shouldn't we call it a ban? You know, he was attacking the media for calling it a ban when 
when Donald Trump does the same thing. If he uses the word ban, we can use the word ban because that's what it is. I think that's a pretty fair yeah, approach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there shouldn't be a question about that, actually. So Megyn Kelly makes her big debut last night on NBC with this exclusive interview with Vladimir Putin where she goes head-to-head with him in St. Petersburg and asks him about uh, the Russian spying or attempt to interfere with the election. Did we learn anything new from that interview? Um, I didn't. Um, I think it was about <laughs> what you'd expect Putin to have said. Um I think what was most interesting Denying to me, he knew anything about it. We have a, a little bit of that through a translator. Um, uh, first of all, on the back channel, right, with, uh, yeah. with Jared Kushner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, what back channel? Here's Putin. I had never known anything about it. I'd never known about anyone meeting anywhere. We never agreed on anything. We simply said that we've got to think about how we should build our relations. Shouldn't we think about that? Didn't know anything about any meeting, any back channel. Yeah, right. I mean, and frankly, maybe he didn't, but Kisselyak did. Like, yeah. Yeah, there's enough enough official connection there that, frankly, I don't believe that he didn't know about it. But, I mean, even if he truly didn't a lot of people within the kremlin did yeah the banker is the bank is owned 100 percent by the russian government so yeah if this conversation actually happened about it then yeah he's a government official the head of the bank and kislyak you're right the russian ambassador the two of them were meeting with jared kushner um yeah we can't prove that vladimir putin knew about it but uh, and then on the hacking. Um, By the way, his comments last week, this was not in the Megyn Kelly thing, where he said uh, that he didn't instruct any kind of hacking, but maybe some patriotic Russians mm. did. I think that kind of tells you how he feels about the whole hacking situation. Yeah. You know? That was a very sm- I mean, There's a, an element of this that you have to kind of like. I don't want to say admire, but you just see how he is just so carefully yeah. constructing that because he that is a plausible deniability and it also sure. totally exploits um an American kind of misunderstanding of Russian intelligence operations generally. Like they aren't all state sponsored. Right. Um so yeah, it was And also gives the go ahead to any patriotic Russians. If it's implicit about- like Wink. It's similar to what Trump did during the campaign. Like, if there are any Russians out there that want to get a look at Hillary Clinton's emails, go ahead. Go ahead, go take a look. And they mm-hmm. did. Yeah. We can't find the 30,000 missing emails, so we invite. I invite you. He actually said that. <laughs> I think it was July. Yeah. Down at Mar-a-Lago. Right. Um, and, and then uh, Putin also tried to dismiss the whole hacking uh, that uh, it, it didn't have to be Russian spies. Here he is again through his translator. Uh, they could have just been like Megyn Kelly's little kids. You know, a, a, kid of your, a kid of yours can send it. A three-year, your, your girl that is three-year-old can perpetrate such an attack. Your three-year-old daughter, Megan, could have done this. Pretty impressive. <laughs> three-year-old. I know. Man. <laughs> Uh, you got. I mean, Putin is pretty slick. I was going to say sly uh, is sly, the word yeah. that's coming. What's so interesting to watch, if you're strictly looking at this from an outsider perspective and not actually wrestling with the potential dissolution of liberal world order, um, <laughs> is 
the the posturing, the public posturing happening here. Like when he says, I think in the same interview with Megyn Kelly, he says, I haven't seen any proof that the Russians were involved in the hacking. That is such a like, I dare you. Like, Mm -hmm. I dare you, U.S. intelligence, like put out your intel on this. Because if it's actually like, you know, that's, that's a win win for Putin. Like, first of all, like the U.S. is. 99.999% 99.999% I am sure not going to put out whatever evidence they have right and if they would it would potentially destroy sources and methods that they have within the Kremlin and if they did that I, those sources and methods would not be around much longer um, yeah. so it's it's this really smart game of public posturing frankly that is putting the just backing the U.S. into a corner Ali Watkins is here with us from Politico Politico.com uh, Thursday, set the alarm. James Comey stepping up uh, in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. What do we expect? Well, um, it sounds there was reports last week, I believe, that he was going to talk about the memos and the conversations with Trump. Um, that's the ostensible purpose of the hearing is on Trump's efforts to get him to drop the FBI investigation. Yes, and I'm sure that. You know, all the lawmakers on that panel, he's going to get a grilling if he declines to discuss some of that publicly. Um, and I suspect he will. What's I think, interesting. I think he's eager to discuss uh, it. Don't yeah, you? It's, absolutely. I mean, um, if there's one thing Comey has been throughout his career, it's been, you know, he wants to, he has almost um, reflexively kind of kept this paper trail to protect himself or at least explain why he's done certain things. And this is an opportunity for him to kind of clear that, the air, the smoke. Um, what's interesting to me is, you know, we had this discussion the other day, um, you know, he obviously has talked to Mueller. I think it's widely accepted that if, uh, Mueller did not want him to testify, he wouldn't. Um, so I would assume that he's clearing not only the fact that he's testifying, but whatever he plans on saying with Mueller, um, because, and this was my thing. Why would he have to do that? He wouldn't have to. He wouldn't have to. But I I mean, there is a kind of level of trust there and rapport, I would assume. And also, if Mueller is planning on investigating potential obstruction of justice, I would think that could be a problem if Comey, you know, would speak publicly about something before he actually talked to the people investigating it, which is Bob Mueller. So I'm really curious to see, you know, if Mueller... So I mean, we had this conversation the other day. This gets into kind of like legal abstract thinking. But if Mueller approved Comey talking publicly about the memos, mm-hmm. there's one school of thought that says, you know, if he's talking publicly about these memos about Trump having pressured him to get rid of the investigation, maybe Mueller's saying, you know, we're not going to explore obstruction of justice because I would I, I originally thought that if he wanted to do that, he would want to keep Comey's testimony private for now. But someone else made the point that, like, if he allows Comey to testify publicly on this, it creates an avenue for Mueller to say, this is an issue. This is on the public record already. We need to examine this. So how that kind of shakes out in the special counsel is going to be really interesting. All right. Then there is this overriding question as to whether or not Donald Trump will assert executive privilege and, in effect, prevent or attempt to prevent Comey from testifying. Which last I heard, I don't think he was. I don't know. That's the last report I heard. But things change quickly. As of Friday, when Sean Spicer at the briefing uh, was asked about this, um, uh, Spicer once again uh, pleads uh, ignorance, right? Uh, 
the date for that hearing was just set. I have not uh, spoken to counsel yet. I don't know what what that what they're going to how they're going to respond. Aha, yeah, uh, I don't believe that for a second. But uh, if Donald Trump attempted that, that would be right. I mean, you'd be all hell out would of break the room, loose. Essentially. Yeah. Also, you just you can't. You're tweeting about it. That I would <laughs> effectively nullifies the notion of executive privilege. Um, I have no. There is no way he would have grounds for that. Like he could try and cite it. I there is no way it would work. Plus, as we pointed out a little bit earlier, Comey can go somewhere else. And I mean, he doesn't have to test. No, I mean, that's not his only audience, right? Or yeah. his only possible venue for for making his comments. He I could, mean, not, he's no longer tethered. To yeah, he anything. Could, he could go. To, he could come in here. He could go to the press club. Is that an open go, invite, that Director is Comey? An open invite, right? <laughs> no, we've, we've extended that. Yeah, meaning he could he could say that anywhere he wants. Oh yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, he could tweet it. <laughs> I think he. He wants some more than 140 characters. I would think so. Yeah, to to tell to tell his story. But uh, so, th- th- what? How do you think the Republicans on the committee are going to treat Comey? You know, I think at least on the Senate side, there are a handful of Republicans on there that are you know really prefer this Russia issue. You know, who are like either diehard Trumpsters or want to, you know, just ignore this Russia fact. But you have Rubio, who's been fairly um, consistent on this issue. Tom Cotton, who prior to Trump winning the election was a hawk on Russia policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, Richard Burr has always, I mean, he was shaken about this Comey thing. These there was a real respect for Jim Comey among Republicans on the committee. Um, and I think that, frankly, the Comey firing in and of itself, I think, is what really shook a lot of Republicans on Sun and Intel. Um, and I think I would not expect them to roll over at this hearing, at least not all of them. Yeah. Um, and I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. But Jim Comey was highly respected by powerful Republicans on that committee. And I think they were, there were some of them who were truly rattled at the way that this happened with mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it'd be very hard for them to defend Donald Trump on this, on this decision. In front of Jim Comey. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or try to make Comey the bad guy here. I, yeah. I don't think that, frankly, I don't think there's any appetite for that. It among. may not, Yeah, you know, it may not lead, to collusion or may not prove prove collusion, but it does prove that Donald Trump wanted to get this information. Will, 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 or could prove that Donald Trump really wanted to get this investigation behind him. It's not the crime. It's the cover-up. That's how it always goes. He might not be guilty of collusion, but the obstruction of justice stuff, it's bearing down pretty hard. That's true. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> one one important national security issue. I don't know whether you've written about this yet, or but uh, that is not getting the attention that I think it should. Is that the administration is seriously considering uh, a request by the Pentagon to send another five to seven or how many thousand people to Afghanistan, a war that has already dragged on for sixteen years. Uh, we tried one surge in 2010. It didn't work under President Obama. Another surge in 2011 under President Obama did not work. 
Uh, yet again, another surge in Afghanistan. And what do you think Donald Trump's going to do? Um, I see no reason why he would not approve this kind of surge. Um, unless his, his base just freaks out enough that, you know, sending another couple thousand troops into Afghanistan is an interesting, quote unquote, America first policy. Um, but there is also this thing he's harnessed of like, you know, we got to go over there and eradicate, you know, the bad guys. Um, this kind of like American cowboy trope uh, that I could see him harnessing to gain support to do this. Um, but frankly, it's also a matter of like if the Pentagon wants to do this, Trump has been relatively hands off when it comes to the Pentagon of mm-hmm. like, you yeah. know, while deferring to, to Jim Mattis, who is obviously still respected over there. Um, and I would not see him. I don't foresee him putting up a fight with that kind of thing. He's that is one area where he's proven to be pretty hands off. I think you're absolutely spot on. I mean, I think uh, he will do this and he'll justify it. He'll come up with all kinds of reasons for justifying it. But what what, what puzzles me is we're spending three billion dollars a month in Afghanistan. We have very little to show for 16 years of war. And I don't know how many lives lost. It's also, I mean, there's been a, it's been resurgent there. There's been a lot uh, more the deaths Talib- in the last couple yeah, of months. Yes, and the Taliban is back now, like stronger than ever. Uh, we know the history of Afghanistan. The British tried it, failed. The Russians tried it, failed. It's, it's not called the graveyard of empires for nothing, you know. And we've lasted there. Now we're there longer than anybody else has been, mm-hmm. um, and not making it, not making any progress. I just wonder why the American people. Well, there's not more attention to this. Yeah. And American troops continuing to die in, in conflict situations there. Yeah. Uh, so it just goes on forever. And this is the war that, I mean, this was Barack Obama called this the good war versus Iraq, but he promised to end both, right? Uh, yeah, I was going to say. And, I mean, this is the question the Obama administration and, refused to answer. And yeah, right. Has, yeah. The question of, like, when is Afghanistan over? When, Like, when do we cut our losses, say, okay, and leave? And I, I don't know when the right answer is or if there's even a right answer, but it's a question that every administration has managed to kick far enough down the curb that they don't have to answer. No, and if you take Vietnam, Vietnam was eight years, right? And, of course, a lot more people and a lot more people, Americans died. There's 500,000 there, I think, at one at one time as opposed to we may have 10,000 right now in Afghanistan. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's on such a small scale, but it's costing us a lot of money that, that Americans are not more concerned about it. But, mm-hmm. you know, look at the people marching in the streets demanding shut down the war in Vietnam. In Afghanistan, you never hear about it. And this decision about this surge, not talked about the briefings. We haven't talked about the briefings for probably two weeks. Hasn't no, I even, mean, that's what hasn't even come up. That's what's different is back when there was the 2010 surge. It was like, oh, that was all you heard about. There were Pentagon oh, yeah. press conferences. There were hugely publicized press conferences oh, yeah. explaining the strategy, explaining why. The, with the way this is going, I mean, it's going to happen. And all of us are going to turn around two weeks later and be like, oh, whoops, we totally missed that. That happened. Mm hmm. Yeah. And Donald Trump will tweet about it. Make America great again. <laughs> Ollie Watkins, always good to see you. Thanks Thank for you so me. much. Uh, now at Politico, uh, politico.com. Uh, keep up with her and all of our good friends over at uh, Politico. And um, we'll come back with from Axios, Alexia McCammon, keeping the show going here and the uh, conversation going 
on the Bill Press Show this Monday, June 5. Thank It can't be a ban if you're letting a million people in. If 325,000 people from another country can't come in, that is by nature not a ban. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Well, what do you say on a Monday, June 5? Hello, hello. Great to see you. Good to have you with us here on the Bill Press Show. We are in uh, Washington, D.C. That's where we start out. But we end up right alongside of you anywhere you are in this great land of ours on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. On WCPT, out in the greater Chicago area, and on um, Free Speech TV, coast to coast. Thanks for joining us, and uh, join me in welcoming to the program the Deputy News Editor at Axios, Alexi McCammond. Alexi, nice to see you. Nice to see you. Uh, all of our good friends at Axios, Jonathan Swan, Mike Allen, Jim Vandehei, who good else? Good group. Great, Great group. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Amy Harder was just in. Amy Harder Alexi. just oh, in. Right. That's right. Yeah, Big Demon. Nice. Yeah, our buddy Ben Geeman. Amy has a great column out this morning. Oh, yeah? Yes. You nice. should all check it out. The on, Harder Line. On energy stuff? Mm, yes, and climate change. That oh. it's here to stay, so deal with it, is the title. Oh, is that right? Yes. For her. Yeah. Yeah, it so is. Everyone should check that out. And I read Jonathan Swan's um, Peek Ahead. Sneak or what? Peek. Sneak Peek yes. uh, column uh, yeah. yesterday uh, yesterday evening. So, yeah, guys, doing, doing great work. Good to have you, uh, you. in studio. Uh, and uh, we have a little... Uh, no, I wouldn't call it breaking news, but a little quiz. Peter. This is great. This is great. Uh, morning Joe, which is on another network, had a pop quiz this morning that just says, the capital city of your closest ally is attacked. Do you, A, retweet Drudge before being briefed, mm-hmm. B, use the attack to lobby the Supreme Court overturn lower court rulings that said your travel ban is unconstitutional? Mm-hmm. C, openly attack the mayor of the city under assault and quote him out of context. Mm -hmm. D, go golfing for the 22nd time in your 19-week tenure. Or E, all of the above. E. E is the correct answer. (laughs) Yes, Donald Trump did every one of those. Yeah, that was a a shade-filled pop quiz. Yeah, they were all over it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the rule of test-taking, right? If if there's an option for all of the above, you always, always go, take all of the right, above. Right. Yeah, for strategic Donald, for Donald Trump, <laughs> especially in the age of Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the the first the first uh, option, uh, picking up uh, a quote from the Drudge Report, right? Unsourced, unsubstantiated, for the right. guy who complains about fake news and putting that out to 31 million followers. Right, is, right. That's sort of that's what his thing, you know. Right. Um, so we've talked a lot about London. Not, we've, not we don't have more to say about it. But the, the, you've, you've written one story that I found fascinating to get us away from London for just a second. Amazon, which is the yeah. by far right the number one e-commerce site, e- e-commerce site. Yep, um, is going back to the future with actually brick and mortar. <laughs> it's so bizarre, um, and I've been thinking through why the same company that. 
years ago told Borders and all these other stores, your stores are becoming obsolete, will now open their own physical stores. In fact, they put some of them out of business. I know. Basically. They have. Um, borders and they're, and they're is expanding. Gone, isn't it? Yes, completely gone. Um, and it's interesting, but I think the bottom line is that Amazon wants to take over the world in a sense. They want to tap into every market so that they can make everyone an Amazon customer and make as much money as possible. And it's especially interesting when you consider that total retail sales last year was $22 trillion. Of that $22 trillion, only $2 trillion was from e-commerce. So if they're only tapping wow, into really? $2 trillion of the $22 trillion, what? Really? they need to oh, move. I thought it would be yeah. just, just the opposite. I know, but no, people are still buying in person. And so I think they're trying to leverage that in a uniquely Amazon way with these stores. I like... I. What's different about their stores? They use a lot of the data that they collect online uh, to present products in the store. So, for example, at the bookstores, they will not sell any products, which is kind of funny, uh, that have a rating of four lower than four stars on Amazon.com. So their their strategy is to further popularize things they already know are popular and selling well online in hopes that people will buy them in person. So their sections for the bookstore is like, you know, highly rated children's books, 4.8 stars and above. Uh, and most, you know, the books that are on people's uh, wish lists the most on Amazon.com. So they're really tapping into this data that they have. And that's one advantage that they have over other companies. They have so much information about everyone. Um, and they're using that to leverage sales in the physical space. Mm. I feel sort of guilty because, like, I do buy so much stuff on Amazon. Same. Like, Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. To think about using like going through life without it now is <laughs> I, 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 it sounds I so sad but like i use it so much i do I too. too and my complaint is it comes too fast <laughs> <laughs> i mean you like, I like the anticipation i like a little time to uh yeah. anticipate the other the, the things going on. give it right. like a week instead of like overnight i know, you know? i know you but i do feel in 15 I, minutes now it's it's insane i know but i do feel guilty i do feel a little guilty like that's money i should maybe be Use it like putting into the community or yeah. here at home. Yeah. Or... Well, now, well now there's Amazon Smile. Can. If you use Amazon Smile, a portion of your uh, 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 money goes to a charity of your choice. Uh, now, so, these stores, back okay. to these stores. Don't feel, don't feel are yes. these. Are these just bookstores? I thought they were. So there's also grocery stores. Um, they just opened two sort of grocery stores. Another thing that makes them where, unique. Where have they opened these? In by Seattle. Way. So there are only two Amazon Fresh grocery stores in Seattle. The bookstores are all over, and they're planning on opening six more. Um, they didn't say when. They just said coming soon. But one interesting thing that's uniquely Amazon about the um, grocery stores is that I don't know if they're really creating a lot of jobs. And that would be one thing to tout as Amazon, you know, as this giant company that smashed the brick and mortar industry by saying you're obsolete, now is coming back, opening their own, and could say, we're creating all these jobs. But I spoke with an Amazon spokeswoman, and I was like, hey, you know, how many employees work at these two stores in Seattle? There are only two stores. I would think you'd have a number. And she just said that varies depending on the day and the time. (laughs) So it's like any other traditional grocery store, if I said, hey, you know, Sam's Club or whatever, how many employees do you have? They would have that data, and she couldn't give it to me. Hmm. So that was interesting because I think as a major company, and especially one that I think people are going to be mad at for opening these physical stores, you could say we are bringing jobs to Americans who need them through these stores, and they are maybe not. I'm just surprised that uh, that they would include grocery stores. It just seems to me that... 
Right. Well, I think another in terms of ordering and you know the supply chain and everything right. for a grocery store is awfully complicated. Right. Uh, and, and I think that they're trying to tap into that. that. You know, they recognize people aren't buying groceries online. People still want to buy it in person, and yeah. so they're they're yeah. combining that. You know, you can wait fifteen minutes between ordering. And picking up your groceries, and we'll bring it out to your car. Do they have a drone to take it out to your car? <laughs> a drone in the form of a human. Who we don't, we don't <laughs> yeah. know who. <laughs> We're really going back to the future. Folks, what we have now is we have humans that are taking the place of drones, which are taking right. the place of humans. By the way, I finally saw one of those robot delivery things on the street. Uh, at Fourteenth and U on Saturday morning. Oh, is it like the like the uh, thing on wheels? It's yeah, li- like the meal. De- I haven't seen one. Yeah. Of those How yet. does that work? What do they deliver? I guess food. I yeah, don't know what it was order... delivering, but it was on its own. There was nobody there with it. You could order like a meal whoa, whoa, from a whoa, restaurant. Whoa. Slow down. This was a, a, like a robot car or a per- yeah, like, like a the little, size of a wagon, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what? a little wagon. On the sidewalk? On the sidewalk. Navigating by itself? Yeah, busy 14th and you, yeah. people getting out of the way. So I saw one yesterday, How did it too. know when to cross the street? It has I don't know. Cameras. I didn't see it cross the street. I just saw it go down one block. How does that not get stolen? It's bizarre. It has cameras. I saw one yesterday, and there was a man accompanying it, walking slightly behind. Oh, oh. And but he wasn't controlling it. And I heard him. I overheard him telling someone else that it works based on like what it perceives as safe and unsafe. So if the street sign says go, like walk, and it perceives it not to be safe, I don't know how through its cameras, it won't cross the street. <laughs> it seems very high tech, and I'm confused and scared by it a little bit. I'm a little terrified. Yeah, I hate it. I just don't. I don't like that. There's Uber Eats and Seamless and Postmates. Like, just why do we need a robot to bring you food? Mm. Do you tip the robot? (laughs) (laughs) Do you tip the robot? I don't know. Maybe that's the future, right? If robots take over the world, do we start treating them like humans? Probably has a PayPal button on the side. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This whole thing is so. Yeah, it's Uh, a lot. Yeah, stop the world. I want to get off, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I can't believe that. I haven't seen any of those. I haven't. No. They have little flags on them so you can see them coming. <laughs> I haven't seen silly. one in person. I, 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 I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, is there one of these Amazon stores in Washington, D.C.? No. Oh, okay. Not yet. Um, they're expanding. They wouldn't say whether or not they're planning on expanding outside of bookstores and groceries, which I think would be interesting. Um but, you know, I, I don't know. I, if if it created jobs, that would be great. Um, they're certainly changing the retail industry as we know it, right, by hiring fewer people, by using all this data, yeah. uh, especially with the grocery stores. The weird thing is you go and your license plate and name is registered in the database. So then, like, next time you come after your first time, they can bring out your order in less than 15 minutes, which seems wild. What if I ordered 100 groceries on Amazon Fresh? How are you going to prepare that? In 15 minutes or less. <laughs> it just is wild. I don't know. So I don't know the logistics of it. Um, it'll be interesting to see if people enjoy using it. Um, because now you can get the groceries delivered to your front door within two hours. And you can pick the time. So I feel like that, for me, is more than enough. Um, and also their grocery supply is limited. They only work with certain mm-hmm. um, producers. And so I don't know. It's a whole new world. It, it is. Really is. It is. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see if they expand outside of Seattle. From Axios, Axios.com, Alexia McCammon here uh, in studio with us. We've been told down at the uh, White House briefings that any questions we have about Russia now, uh, just moving on to a different topic, mm-hmm. um, that we don't ask Sean Spicer or Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Right. We save those questions for 
Mark uh, special Cassowitz. attorney Mark Kasowitz. Who yep. is he, and what's his role? And he uh, he's an interesting guy. He's referred to by some as a uh, New York City street brawler because he's kind of that intense. Happens, that, that happens to me too. People call <laughs> me that time, too same. all the time. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he is a Manhattan litigator, and he has worked with Trump for 15 years in various capacities, mostly for uh, what I would say are relatively petty cases compared to the Russia investigation that he's now representing Donald Trump for. Um, he's worked with Trump on you know, keeping his divorce records sealed, suing the New York Times for defamation when they reported on his mm-hmm. sexual misconduct, alleged sexual misconduct. Um, he sued Timothy O'Brien, the book author who said Trump was a millionaire and not a billionaire. Um, so it's these things that really he's been Trump's go to guy when Trump's uh, financial concerns are questioned or his reputation is questioned, um, which, again, I think are relatively petty things to uh, the FBI's investigation into potential collusion with Russia. So they have a really interesting relationship. And I think that We've been told at Axios that the White House, some people in the White House are very concerned about his role in this because he enables Trump to be Trump's best self, which is mm-hmm. not the best well, for the situation. But right. even the stuff that we're seeing this morning, right, this isn't directly related to Kasowitz, but, you know, uh, Kellyanne Conway was out mad. She's mad at people because they're looking at his tweets this morning and saying, don't look at the tweets. Look at what he's doing as president. Well, right. like you have to take that persona. Right. right. And so there are some people who are trying to say there's the Trump being Trump and then there's the president Trump being presidential. And you're right. If you're saying that Kazowitz is going to let Trump be Trump, that is going to create right. so much headache. Right. So well, are they setting up a special um, – I should know this, but they haven't told us at the White House. Are they setting up a special office where we reporters will have access to? I mean, is he going to hold daily briefings? Right. So, How do we – how does this work? So that is one of, I think, the biggest concerns for the White House because he's going to have to navigate not only a new city and a new political landscape, you know, D.C. and this investigation, totally different from his Manhattan experience. Um, so he's coming into this as a new person in this landscape. He, and he's going to have to navigate this media narrative, shaping this media narrative, which Trump increasingly views himself as the most effective spokesperson for his decisions. Yeah. So allowing Kasowitz to do that for him, I think, will be difficult. And I think it'll be difficult for Kasowitz to know how to speak to the media. And one main thing is... The two decisions I think Kazowitz will have to make throughout this investigation, which is either coming forward and being transparent about certain information regarding his representation of Donald Trump, right? So being proactive and transparent or staying silent and, you know, just not saying anything at all. And I think those are two things that Trump is not really into, right? That's not usually how he operates. Right. He operates on his own mode. So who knows if Trump will listen to Kazowitz's legal counsel. And his jurisdiction is Russian interference in the election slash Russian collusion. Right. Yes. Right. Right. That's... Exactly. So it's a it's a lot for him to come in and deal with and I think People are questioning his experience and whether or not he's equipped to handle an investigation like this. I think he will certainly look to uh, outside folks for some help and legal counsel with this. Maybe some people from D.C. who are more well-versed in navigating this political landscape. Uh, But I think the big question is whether or not Trump will actually listen to his suggestions and legal counsel when we've seen Trump many times do whatever he thinks is best, despite the advice he receives. Well, um, we've talked about this before. 
you know, with uh, when the Monica Lewinsky scandal hit the Clinton administration, um, they set up an independent office headed by Lanny Davis, mm-hmm. um, Chris, forget his last name now, who is now with uh, Uber, um, no, or Google, forget. Anyhow, Chris Lahane oh, was go. his yeah. Chris Lahane was his deputy. Um, and all the Monica, Mike McCurry is press secretary. Ask Lenny Davis anything related right. to money. Ask Lenny. So it worked for right. Clinton. It could work for Trump if he, if Katzwitz is the right guy. Right. Lenny Davis was. Katzwitz may not be. And if Trump would allow Katzwitz, and if Trump would shut up, I guess is what I'm <laughs> right, trying to say. Right, right, right. And yeah. I think that fact is easing the White House's concerns because, you know, they're worried about him coming on board, but they can deflect to him and say, we're not talking about this, ask him. But then there's a question of, you ask Kasowitz, and then Trump tweets something that totally contradicts whatever Kasowitz is saying. Um, I don't think that Kasowitz would be able to convince Trump not to tweet about this while it's happening. I think we've seen he'll do what he wants, but that will be the really interesting contention is that public-private narrative that's happening. Yeah. We haven't, I, I, I haven't seen Kasowitz around the briefing room or around the White House so far. I don't mm-hmm. know whether he's... I think he's keeping a low profile. Started, I, I would imagine, but there yeah. have been very few details. And you're right. Some of the, some of the, uh, I don't know, more establishment, if you will, uh, people around the White House are saying the last thing we need is another. Right. Yeah. A guy Especially who's going to encourage this. Donald Trump's worst instincts. Right. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of Caswoods around the White House. I think that's yeah. the whole point. I think the whole reason that he yeah. exists is so they don't have to talk about it. Yeah. So I don't think they're going to offer him up. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, on the Sunday shows yesterday, it was interesting. So I was at the uh, uh, briefing last week, a couple of them, where um, Sean Spice was asked whether or not the president still believes that climate change is a hoax. Right. Sean Spicer said he couldn't he couldn't answer that. I was there Friday when uh, maybe seven or eight times the question was asked to Administrator Scott Pruitt of the EPA. Right. Uh, he said he, he, he just refused to answer. He danced around it, couldn't answer it. The question came up again after Pruitt left for Sean Spicer. Jamie, if we have Sean Spicer's answer yet again. I have not had an opportunity to have that discussion. Even though it's the number one issue uh, for the last two weeks with the administration uh, leading up to and then including the announcement in the Rose Garden, uh, I find it impossible to believe that Sean Spicer had not had that conversation with Donald Trump. So yesterday they finally sent some, and then uh, they finally sent somebody out who would answer the question. Here she is, Nikki Haley, our ambassador to the UN. President Trump believes the climate is changing, and he believes pollutants are part of that equation. Okay, <laughs> why should we believe her? Uh, she sounded very confident in her answer. Um, that doesn't answer. <laughs> President her? Trump believes the climate is changing. <laughs> <laughs> Who is she to talk about this? Right. I mean, right. If Sean Spicer's not having these conversations allegedly with the president, then how then is Nikki, Nikki Haley? Nikki Haley is? I, uh, well, or Scott Pruitt is not having this conversation? Right, right. The guy who's right. more than anybody, I'm right. sure, is the one right. who convinced Donald Trump to do this. Right. Well, I do think that's, that is a, a default answer. You know, I, I remember during the campaign, Marco Rubio said that all the time. Like, of course, the climate is changing. The climate is always changing. So that's yeah. sort of like a yeah. scapegoat answer. And it's surprising that she was willing to go on the record acknowledging that when everyone else has been dodging it, you know, as best they can. Um, 
you wonder if you know she was sent out there to answer that, or she just right. popped off. Um, well, right. <laughs> I so the interesting thing is I wrote about this for Axios, uh, her comments, and I tweeted about it, and something just like Nikki Haley's the first White House official to, you know, openly discuss his climate views since the Paris deal, and she retweeted it, and then removed it. Oh wow! Which suggests that she might be wanting to walk that statement back. <laughs> really? Yeah. I got an email notification that she retweeted it and I was like, this is very odd. And then went to her page later and she had removed it. Oh, wow. So I'm curious to see if she's walking it back. Maybe she did just pop off and say it um, yeah. without thinking and then was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that when everyone else is refusing to answer. By the way, by the but way. She might have, uh, maybe she got a little call from uh, <coughs> somebody uh, down at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and right? said, what the hell are you doing? Right, right. This is, this is an interesting nugget uh, out of Playbook this morning. Overheard at Trump National, Trump discussing his decision to pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement over lunch after playing a round of golf on Sunday. What, well, he played golf on Sunday? Believe it or not. <laughs> no. Trump's post-Paris analysis they can't even get the weather report right. So how come they think they can get that right? Yeah, I saw that this morning. <laughs> so basically, yeah. he is a Fox News grandpa. Mm-hmm. Boy, it's uh, it's all confusing. I don't know. I mean, I <laughs> I just can't even make sense of it sometimes. No. Um. I, but yeah, the Nikki Haley comment was surprising. I I don't know why she would go on record when everyone else is not. Uh, again, I do think it's a default answer, but I also think that he's probably not very happy with that. No. Uh, and uh, I mentioned that Scott Pruitt was at the uh, the briefing on Friday. So he was asked at one point, yeah. uh, at one of the times that he was asked about this, uh, what does Donald Trump really believe about climate change? Um, and, oh, I know. So when he wouldn't answer that, somebody followed up and said, okay, we know you're not going to answer what the president believes about climate change. What do you personally believe about climate change? Here, uh, Scott Pruitt, coming up with a new term that I think none of us had ever heard before. People have have called me a climate skeptic or a climate denier. I I don't know what it it means to deny the climate. Uh, I would say that they're a climate exaggerator. Yeah. I don't know what it means to deny the climate. I mean, turning that around. Yeah, we know what a climate denier is. It's so cute. It's just so cute. Yeah. Yeah. But climate, climate exaggerator? Climate exaggerator, yeah. 16 out of the last... Creative. 16 out of the hottest 17 years uh, on record have occurred since 2001, right? Right. That's not ex- an exaggeration. <laughs> it's a fact. Right, right. Well, also, it's interesting... Um, there were 150 glaciers in Glacier National Park. <laughs> there are 26 left. Fact. Yeah. It's not a climate exaggerator. Right. I mean, go right. down the list, right? Right. right. Well, and they removed, uh, the EPA removed their climate science data website uh, a month ago, a month and a half ago, under, you know, Pruitt's agency. So uh, you can exaggerate the climate, but uh, give the facts that you have and uh, expand on those first. I, 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 this is my little rant really quickly on, on climate change, right? Like, if you're talking to a climate change denier, there's an easy way to get them to come on, on your side that I've found, right? You might, you might have convinced them of the science. Yeah. There's an easy way to get them on your side. Just appeal to gambling, right? Like, if you are a gambler, right, you know how this works. If you're going to take a risk on something, you have to take a look at what you could lose. So if you gamble on climate change and you say, okay, climate change, we need to confront it, we need to do something, and you work at it and you make things better, great. 
But if you don't and you ignore it, what do you have to lose? Everything. Like, literally everything. So you either go in and try and fix it, or you lose everything, but you were right. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like... Have you had success with that? A little bit, actually. Yeah? Yeah. Let's do you meet my... a lot of climate skeptics tonight? I'm from South Carolina. <laughs> okay. I got a lot of them yeah. in my family. Yeah. That's fair. So. I, I'm just trying to figure out the humidity in D.C. It's uh, <laughs> Good luck with doing that. bad things to my hair. Good luck with that. I feel hot all the time. Yeah, no, no, there's, it just, I don't like just this climate. I do you. not like Wait, it. Wait, how long have you been here? Um, since April. You you have not experienced <laughs> oh, yeah. the humidity in D.C. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a long, hot summer. No, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait. It's been pretty hot it's so mad. far, I think. It's about I mean, to get the really last, bad. Like, Compared to Chicago, it's been pretty hot. The last couple of days were spectacular. Yesterday was very hot, I thought. You have, let me tell you something. You, when it, when it, when whoa, it gets whoa. Are you, am I exaggerating the climate? <laughs> You're a climate exaggerator. No. You are a climate exaggerator. I just want you, you come back and see us in July or August. I'll be and, a puddle on the ground. You yeah. will, you will know about DC humidity then. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to As that. Greg no. said, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> yeah. August. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, oh, seriously. Oh, that's not it's comforting. Gonna be bad. Oh, it's going to be bad. I wish I could help you, but... Yeah. Well, welcome to D.C. Worse. and welcome Thank to you. the uh, program. And uh, so what are you working on today? What's up? What next? Uh, I actually have the day off on Mondays. Mondays and you came here. Yeah, I don't work you. Mondays. Oh, I work Saturdays instead. All right. So, uh, you know, today I'm uh, I'm hosting a panel tomorrow at the museum, actually. On? Uh, on the representation of diversity in American media. And pop culture. So everyone yeah. can come, 3 p.m. Nice. I'll be there representing Axios. Okay. Cool. All right. Very good. Great job at Axios. Thanks so <laughs> Thank much you. for coming in. It's Axios.com. Uh, Alexi McCammon. And now the rest of the day, like Alexi, hope you have the day off too. The rest of the day is yours. Enjoy it. Come back and see us tomorrow. This we'll be looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. It was so sad to hear about another terrorist attack in London over the weekend, the third in the U.K. over uh, the last three months. That attack in London was rightfully condemned by all civilized nations, including the United States. If only Donald Trump had stopped there. But instead, he couldn't help himself instead of a dignified response expressing our sorrow and our condolences and our cooperation with the English people. Donald Trump had to pick up his phone and tweet away using that terrorist attack to push once again for his Muslim travel ban. In so doing, he could not be more crass nor more misguided. Let's face this. The Trump travel ban would have done nothing, nothing, nothing to stop that terrorist attack in the U.K., except stir up more hatred of the United States among uh, misguided young radicals. But what will help future terrorists, uh, prevent future terrorist attacks, both in Europe and in the United States, is working together with our allies, the very kind of international cooperation that all for future former presidents rather have worked to build, that kind of international cooperation that Donald Trump destroyed by his boorish conduct at NATO headquarters a couple of weeks ago and last week 
by pulling out of the Paris Accords on climate change. Please, Donald, put your damn phone away and stop tweeting. This is The Bill Press Show.